When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ethan Warren. And this is The Great Hunting Caper. By the late 1980s, Jim Henson was spending more time sitting in Henson Associates' board meetings than he was doing the things that made him Jim Henson, pushing the boundaries of puppetry and innovating in the realm of all-ages entertainment. It had been a perilously long time since there had been a successful project out of either the Muppet or Creature workshops. In a staff memo, Jim addressed rising concerns... I know that this period of time has been somewhat filled with a sense of uncertainty and an apparent lack of direction, but I want to say that we are working and looking at various alternatives, and we should have a resolution in the not-too-distant future. That resolution came swiftly and without any particular drama. Jim Henson and Michael Eisner made a handshake deal to sell Henson Associates, as well as Jim's talents and services, to the Walt Disney Company. On its face, the deal was a win-win. Disney was mired in its wilderness years prior to the so-called renaissance of animated classics that would signal a sea change for the company. The House of Mouse needed new characters to merchandise, and the frog and the pig looked pretty good. Meanwhile, Jim wanted the time, space, and support to stop worrying about heading a company and get back to enjoying his work. Not just that, Jim was thinking about his legacy. As he put it, he was looking way down the road to the time he was gone. Disney would keep the Muppets alive and thriving and provide a wonderful future for these characters. It's as close to an eternal life as a little green frog can get. The deal was announced in the summer of 1989. At a press conference, Michael Eisner crowed, quote, Mickey Mouse has a new sibling, and he's going to have to get used to it, end quote. According to the deal, Jim would receive $150 million in Disney stock, and in exchange, he would relinquish all his copyrights. Only one block of characters was off the table, the Sesame Street Muppets. Those characters were sacrosanct, and Jim wrote a stipulation into the Disney deal demanding he be allowed to continue working on the show. He had promised Joan Gans Cooney that he and Frank Oz would be playing Ernie and Bert until they were in their 80s. Jim's resistance to selling the Sesame Street characters became a sticking point, though. Michael Eisner wanted them, and the merchandising potential that came with them. He formed Operation Big Bird, a task force with one mission, pry the Sesame Street Muppets from Jim's grasp. It was just one of a multitude of points for debate that arose once the deal was informally done, leaving the formalization of the merger to drag on painfully as the 80s gave way to the 90s. So I, I think it was the failure of the Jim Henson Hour um, that spooked Jim into selling his company to Disney. So I, so I think it was really attractive to him uh, to negotiate with Disney. And Michael Eisner was a friend of his. I mean, Michael Eisner was the one who gave him the shot with the, you know, the, the Muppet pilots back in the early 70s. So the two of them had a relationship and that was really important to Jim as well. Um, so, you know, Disney's where Jim wanted the Muppets. When people talk today about, you know, the Muppets at Disney, you know, I have to remind them, that's where Jim wanted them. Jim wanted them to manage the Muppets, to take care of the Muppets. Uh, we can talk to her blue in the face on what kind of job they're doing, but that doesn't take away from the fact Jim thought they belonged there. Um, and 
part of that deal was he wanted his own independent production company. And they were negotiating at the time what that might look like. Um, and you know how long they were going to have an exclusive deal with him. Was it going to be five years, 10 years, 15 years? Um, there were some people who thought that Jim would um, get an exclusive for five or 10 years and the you know, 10 years just walk away and never do the Muppets again. They were saying like he had that ability, sort of like taking the Muppet show off the air after five years and saying it was a lovely show and walking away. Or Fraggle Rock, he does the same thing with Fraggle Rock. Five years, Jim takes it off the air. Nice show. Jim always says that, that's his word, nice show takes it off the air. Um, uh, some people thought he would just be willing to walk away from the Muppets altogether and let the next generation, if you will, sort of take care of them. So so Disney's where Jim wanted the Muppets to be. And he's negotiating the sale of the company. And at that time, they were going to get the whole rock. They were going to get, literally, they were going to get the, the what we think of now as the classic Muppets. They were going to get the Fraggles. Uh, they were going to get Dark Crystal. They were going to get everything. Ultimately, Disney got only what we call the classic uh, Muppets, but at the time in Jim's life, he was negotiating giving them everything. And that was a lot of work. And there was a lot of, um, you know, examining assets and doing the business stuff. But Jim was so certain they could make this deal work because he had, shake, he had shaken Michael Eisner's hand. And that to him was enough. As it became clear that finalizing this deal would be unexpectedly painful, Jim turned his attention to creating new attractions for the Disney parks, one of the major incentives in the merger from his perspective. Jim the Innovator wanted to explore the potential for immersive entertainment, beginning with another of his longtime dreams, a 3D Muppet movie. Working with Michael Frith, by now Henson Associates Executive Vice President and Director of Creative Services, he designed what they called Muppet Vision 3D. Located at Walt Disney World, the attraction sees the audience seated in a new iteration of the Muppet Theater, with Kermit, alongside Fozzie, Gonzo, and Miss Piggy, on screen introducing a demonstration of the innovative new Muppet Vision 3D technology. Naturally, much mayhem ensues over the course of the next 15 minutes, most of it involving objects protruding from the screen, party blowers, paddle balls, the usual. A live version of Sweetums and an animatronic Bean Bunny, Swedish Chef, Statler, and Waldorf are all installed in the theater to rub elbows with the audience. Unfortunately, the short, which is generally prime Muppet material, does feature a lot of Jim Henson Hour would-be breakout Waldo C. graphic, the floating computer-generated Muppet now reconceived as the spirit of 3D. There's a lot of Waldo. None of it works. I think it's funny that Muppet Vision 3D was hung on Waldo, who I remember also being introduced in the Jim Henson Hour. I'm not sure which came first, but... Henson seemed to have this idea and you know maybe not wrong considering how motion capture works today but like that the new generation of things like this was going to be we're going to do these CGI puppets um, and Waldo is utterly forgotten but he's central to <laughs> Muppet 3D which is otherwise I think just a bunch of classic Muppet shenanigans I love it and it kind of makes me sad that it's one of those uh, Disneyland or world properties that never has a line in front of it <laughs> which is great as someone who loves it but um, I guess it shows that uh, the Muppets just aren't such a draw anymore but the 3D is used so beautifully in that thing it is funny and it interacts with the animatronics in real life so beautifully is just a marvel of engineering that way. So you have seen mm -hmm. Muppet Vision 3D. 
in beautiful four or five, six dimensions, however many dimensions they, they do there. I've, I've only watched it on YouTube a couple of times. However many is working in the theater that day. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it is, I feel like, historically been in need of <laughs> some love. Okay. Well, I just think it would be awfully fun for Sweetums to run around near me. <laughs> yeah, he, he will. Well, he's got, it seems nowadays he has a sort of, like, a space up front that mm. uh, that actor doesn't doesn't come too close. But, Fair yeah, I, I've see, I have seen it, and in my time working in the park that it lives in, I would spend my days off there when I felt bad because I had no money because I was being paid by the Walt Disney Company. Well, they're they're historically a cash poor organization. They just, you know, and it's just experience is great. I appreciate the experience. Um, so yeah, I would just like sit in that theater and like watch it over and over again. Which doesn't make me feel good, but there's a lot, lot of there's a lot of good jokes in it. It is. It's it's beautiful that it exists because it's one last give or take Waldo pretty great Muppet thing. Yeah. Give or take Bean Bunny. I've, I have an interesting relationship with Bean Bunny. He's not he's not really classic Muppet. He works. There's nothing wrong with him. Um, but he, he doesn't quite fit in for me. He gestures towards Pepe the King Prawn in foreboding right. ways. Yep. I wouldn't have said it out loud, but I think you just crystallized uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, it, the Muppet of it all in 3D in um, Muppet Vision does hold up. Yeah, the Jim Henson, and and it, it it makes sense that he was creatively activated by it because he was he was always an innovator and in trying mm-hmm. to, you know, see what was possible, and so it, it seems like that reactivated something in him that maybe the Jim Henson hour had not um, pushed. Mm-hmm. It's fifteen minutes long, if that, but it's good. It's got an amazing, like, does a YouTube cut have the pre-show on it? It's got that it's got amazing pre-show. Takes you from outside through the line, through the whole thing. Yeah, the, the pre-show is what, what, at my most generous, is what I think about in terms of the Jim Henson hour, right? You, you have you have characters you don't recognize, um, and you kind of know the Muppets are around here somewhere. So you're, you're sort of in anticipation, but you're also watching these people interact with the same universe you are, the same sort of like artifice that you are. In that in that waiting room, which was, it was really imagineered the right way when you're waiting to get into it. One of the many props above you is a net that is full of jello. It's a net full of jello. Oh my a God. A net. What? <laughs> okay. I, I got it at that point. There may be people who, who'd take another step, so say it again. <laughs> a net full of jello. It's that's so stupid. <laughs> it's great. Oh, just please I I I, I hope that Muppet Vision 3D will remain in existence for as long as possible. I got to go back to it uh last year I had just uh, me and a couple of comedian friends had done uh, this cruise um, doing comedy shows on this cruise and the the boat docked uh, in uh, I don't remember where it docked but it was like a three hour drive to Orlando 
and we were like, let's let's go to the theme parks for two days. We're here, let's do it. And Muppet Vision 3D still being there feels like a miracle. Um, I, 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 I hope they never tear it down because the two times I've experienced it were both, the first time was in the year 2000. So at that point, Jim had been dead for quite a while. And I was so, it was like watching someone come back to life. I was seeing new Muppet material in person, actual Statler and Waldorf in the balcony. And the jokes were there and it was basically the Muppet show in tone, but you're in the Muppet theater and it felt like a miracle that it existed. And it still does. Like, it is such a glorious, fully satisfying experience. And um, I worry because people talk about it leaving. And I, I hope that if there's ever a danger that the theme park's going to get rid of it, that some sort of initiative can be made to, like, move it somewhere. Like, move it to Wyoming. Like, move it somewhere and preserve it. Like, just have Muppet Vision, Vision 3D exist in, you know, you know, uh, uh, Illinois or someplace. Just, like, move, move the stuff and have it run. Uh, it, it could be the most popular attraction in some small town somewhere. You know, move it to Scotland. Move it wherever. Find Somewhere in the world wants Muppet Vision 3D if they ever get rid of it. I, I'm terrified that they'll just be like, no, nope, it's gone. We got rid of it. Um, because all it will take is for the Muppets to feel like a thing that, ah, that's so, you know, old, it's long ago, we don't need this anymore, we're going to put up a new thing. You know, and that's... that. And I normally, with most things, I would feel like, yeah, you got to move on. Like, you know, don't get sentimental. Yeah, so they're getting rid of this ride and building a new ride. Kids like this new thing better. But Muppet Vision 3D feels like it's part of the Henson legacy in a way. It feels like a memorial. Without feeling uh, um, morbid, it feels like a celebration of everything that he achieved. Not everything, but of a major chunk of what he achieved. So even without a contract, Jim starts working on projects like Muppet Vision 3D. Um, he starts working on developing dark rides in the park, again, with no contract signed. And um, Muppet Vision, again, there's Jim playing with the tech. You know, Jim Jim wants to make a 3D movie, but he, he wants to do more than just make a 3D. He wants to make it 4D, he wants to make it experiential, where, you know, you go in and there's bubbles coming down from the ceiling and there's Sweetums running up the aisle and the Swedish chef is in the back with his cannon. And, you know, it's just, even to this day, it is still one of the most fun experiences you'll have. It's the closest you'll ever probably get to seeing the Muppets really performing in front of you, even though they're all animatronic. Um, but that was, you know, that was Jim's concept. And um, it was another one of those projects they just had a blast doing. But, you know, that was one of those projects when he was done with it. Disney Disney bickered with him about um, the cost of it, how much he was going to pay himself for his director's fee. And that's a point at which, you know, Jim almost walks away because uh, he says, if I'm going to have to spend my, you know, the, this next year justifying my value to you, this is probably not the relationship we want to be in. And my, my glasser said, easy now, everything's okay, you know, we'll, we'll get back to it. Um, but again, he's giving them these great projects on, on goodwill, on good faith. And so that's where Muppet Vision 3D comes out of. He had a really great project called the Great Muppet Movie Ride. 
which never went beyond the page. Michael Frith doing just these beautiful drawings. And Jim just got the biggest kick out of it. Jim loved the dark rides at Disneyland. His favorite one of all things was the one where you get in the boats in Mexico at Epcot and kind of float through Mexico. It's like a real sleeper uh, when you'd expect it to be like pirates or something, but no, he likes the Mexico ride. And um, so he wanted a ride where you'd kind of go through on boats and you would see behind the scenes on the making of movies, sort of like similar to the great movie ride at, uh, at Disney MGM. Um, but all the info you were gonna be presented with was wrong. And Jim just thought that was great. And, you know, it was going to be you know, scenes from Frankenstein with Beaker as Frankenstein and his, you know, the top of his head is blowing off. And it just it just looked like so much fun. Um, that's another one of those that when you see a lot of the concept art on what Jim wanted to do with restaurants and things, it'll really break your heart. All right. We just finished our final bit of Muppetishness. And it was called Muppet Vision 3D, which we watched on YouTube as opposed to going in person to Disney, though I know that disappointed you. Uh-huh. But we watched it on YouTube, and what did you think of Muppet Vision 3D? I wish we watched it there. Because it was so good, or because you feel like you lost something at home? Well, it's because we lost the fun bit of 3D. That's true. Did you enjoy getting a sense of what it is like to be there? Yeah. Big shrug with that, yeah. Um, do you think Jim did a good job with this one? Mm-hmm. What do you think is fun about it? 3D-ness. That's what it's like when 3D happens. Um, but there was one character there that you didn't like so much. Well, actually, a few of them. Do you remember who you didn't like so much that you had to see? Um, Waldo and... Waldo and Sam the Eagle and Swedish Chef were three Muppets that you saw that you didn't like. But what... Um, Little. You like Waldo a little? Mm-hmm. So what's your feeling about Waldo? He's funny, but he's shaped weird. Mm-hmm, he is shaped weird, and his face looks like... A clowns. And do you like that? No. Right. Um, so would you have liked to see more Waldo and more Muppet things? Well, if his face was different, I would. So if Waldo wasn't Waldo, you could hang out with Waldo? Yeah. Cool. Um, I really like the part where you see that in the theater, Sweetums is out there running around, and the Swedish chef is blasting his, uh, his whatever that thing's called. His cannon. His cannon, or, or a blunderbuss was what it looked like to me. And if the audience doesn't know what a blunderbuss is, they should go look it up, because I think that's what the Swedish chef had. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. I like Bean Bunny. Do you like Bean Bunny? Silly. Silly. Just like the Muppets. Silly up and down. Silly sideways. Silly every day of the week. <sighs> All right. So, any last thoughts on Muppet Vision 3D? Can you go to Disneyland for me and watch it? All right, listener, that's your assignment. Go watch Muppet Vision 3D in real life and report back. We'll be right back after this quick break. Jim was impatient with Michael Eisner. He had even started using expletives when discussing the Disney deal, and I won't repeat them here. This is a family show, but still, Jim Henson's swearing. Jim began making plans to get face-to-face with Eisner and put the deal to bed at last. But first, he and Cheryl made a trip to visit Jim's father in North Carolina. 
Jim wasn't feeling well. His throat was sore and his nose was running. So he and Cheryl headed back to New York earlier than they had planned. The next day, Jim felt worse. He had no voice and even struggled to catch his breath. He canceled his day, raising alarm bells. Jim Henson did not cancel a day of work. Jane, Jim's ex-wife and earliest creative partner, arrived later that day, bringing soup and sympathy. But when she saw Jim's condition, she moved into the guest room. She wouldn't get much sleep that night, though. Instead, she made tea and sat up with Jim, imploring him to go to the hospital. But Jim did not believe it was that serious. A little under 24 hours later, Jim Henson, then in the early stages of pneumonia, died of septic shock caused by a bacterial infection. He was 53 years old. Jim's memorial service was held the following week at St. John's Cathedral in New York. Mourners were handed felt butterflies on wires and filed into an organ rendition of Rainbow Connection, which was followed by a New Orleans-style funeral march. After the opening prayer, Muppet performer Richard Hunt took the microphone, welcoming the assembled and then reading letters from children who had grown up with the Muppets. My favorite Muppet is Cookie Monster, read one letter. He makes me feel good about myself. Another read, Kermit taught me leadership. He is friendly and fair, qualities a leader needs. Another, when I was younger, all his characters were idols of mine, and they taught me right from wrong. His shows helped build my character and personality with kindness and honesty. I think creative people are the coolest. And what I love about Jim Henson is that he wasn't content to just sort of establish something and then ride the wave of that. They were always trying to challenge themselves to do a little more. Also, he didn't rest on his laurels tonally. He wanted to try different things. Um, some of the early humor before he turned this into the Muppets, you know, was a little more mature. And then there was the Muppets. And then he started to make stuff like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and get a little bit darker. And I wasn't a huge fan of that phase. I'm not a big fantasy movie person. But I applaud him for trying and for doing that. And it was really heartbreaking to hear that when they screened the Dark Crystal for executives, the end there was like dead silence. They got up and they walked out and they didn't say a word to Jim Henson or Frank Oz. And that's just kind of devastating to hear because it's it's good for people to try new things, new styles. When I was seven and Jim Henson died, I still remember like what class I was in at school. I remember us all talking about it. Even though he hasn't been with us for 33 years, I do think there is a, sometimes successfully and sometimes not, a care to maintain his voice and legacy in a way that even as his uh, work is purchased by large corporations or his legacy is owned by Disney or owned by, you know, HBO or whatever else it is, I, it feels like the creative people involved are still trying their best to live up to his to his uh, worldview in a way that you know is is really endearing it's you know i wonder what what he might have done in his you know 80s you know that would have been because i can't imagine him not working as much as he loved driving around in fancy sports cars and stuff like that i can't imagine him just doing that full time I, feel, I foresee Jim Henson going through the same career arc that Mel Brooks has gone through, where there are things he did in his youth and in his, like, 40s and 50s where people are like, 
in his 40s, where people are like, amazing, he's hilarious, he's the funniest man in the world. And then in his 50s, 60s, 70s, people are like, oh, okay, he's still doing stuff. Wow, like, this erases all the goodwill from his earlier things. Now I think he's not very good, actually. The other stuff was a fluke. And then he gets to his 80s, 90s, and people are like, all I remember are the good things. He's amazing, he's a legend. And I wish Jim Henson could have experienced that period of his career when he could have just, like, gone around sitting on stage and telling random anecdotes about his, you know, the same thing that uh, with Groucho Marx, it was kind of a similar thing, where it was like, as a young man and then in his 40s, he's a genius. And then as he gets older, oof, boy, Groucho. I mean, like, okay. And then when he's in his, you know, 80s and it's, and he's a frail old man, everyone is like, oh, what a god on earth. What a, what a, what a legend. If I can just touch the hem of his garments. It's a, it's a, it's really sad that Jim Henson didn't get to live to, to that part, to go through the to finish going through the he's a has-been part and then to go into the, oh, what a, can you believe such as him exist, that they share our air, that that stage. Oh, that's the tragedy of it. Tragedy of it. Somewhere, somewhere in some alternate universe, he is a beloved old man who just gets to go around and have people fawn over him wherever he goes. You can't help but wonder where he would have gone from there, what his ambitions were, for how to move this forward. And, uh, yeah, it is, it is very, <laughs> uh, here, here's a really unique opinion. It's really sad, uh, that Jim Henson died. Uh, a huge bummer. Not to bring things down too much, but Henson is the one celebrity, I think still, that I just broke down in tears when I heard he had died. I mean, granted, I was still a child when I learned that, but I am not a difficult adult to make cry. Uh, but I, I remember it very vividly that I was on the way to get my hair cut. The news came on NPR that he had died. I burst into tears and then my mom had to explain to the barber why they were cutting the hair of a still crying child through the entire haircut and um you know if it was someone who was not as uh into jim henson and the muppets as i was it must have seemed bizarre <laughs> i think henson will always stand as one of those those singular figures just because he's one of those people where the the work will always speak for itself when you look at the sort of uh you know, the, the collection of characters and films and stories he's told. I think the desire to create things for children, but that can be enjoyed by adults, and that have that level of, you know, just sort of inherent uh, goodness to them without being cloying or annoying or corny even, it's a really special thing to have managed to accomplish. And even in something like Dark Crystal, which on its face uh, could be scary and, and uncomfortable, you can really tell that his, his mission statement there is to create a space where it is comfortable for children to experience discomfort in a way that might prepare them for the world uh, just as much as uh, learning sort of, you know, good morals and good character from more friendly characters like the Muppets. You can just feel that across all of his work. And I feel like there are 
almost no creative minds like him in that regard who have the ability to imbue their work with that kind of ethical uh, positivity without getting under your skin in a in a way that annoys you he never stopped being impressive he's one of the most impressive people who ever existed as far as i'm concerned i always hesitate when people say things you know there'll never be anyone like him you know um because i i think that smacks of a certain sort of nostalgia for the good old days and it's it's pessimistic in a way that I think cuts against the core of who Jim Henson was. I understand the sentiment of why it's tempting to feel that thing. They'll never it's true, there'll never be any anyone like Jim Henson. He was unique and what he put together was unique. But I think Jim Henson himself would be like uh, I think his his attitude towards something like that would be like, well, uh, maybe there'll never be uh, anybody like me, but um, there'll be someone else. And maybe they'll be interesting. This is a guy who knew how to go for a big laugh. And he also knew, like, sometimes it's funny to blow things up. You know? I think that's a, that's a unique blend as a person. So I think that's one of the reasons his legacy endures is because there was nothing phony about Jim. You know, again, Michael Firth, who says that only Jim could say, I want to make a show that will stop war and nobody would laugh at him. That's Jim Henson. I mean, he's absolutely sincere about that. He was the one who was absolutely sincere about meeting a child eye to eye. People talked about how Jim's children would come in and talk to him. He would turn in his chair and speak directly to them. And there were people saying, you know, I'd never, I'd never seen a parent do that with their child, with their child before. But that's Jim on Sesame Street. The Muppets are looking the child right in the eye. Uh, and talking to them on their level. Now, the great thing about it is the adults get it. We all understand what's going on as grown-ups. But for a kid, you've got Jim meeting you face-to-face. -face. Um, you can't put a value on that. So so I, so I think the work that Jim gave us, in that sense, is priceless because of that. Uh, and it still endures because of that. Sesame Street has a timelessness to it because of Jim. Um, because kids, even as times change and kids change, kids don't change that much. They're still going to laugh at, or at Bert sneezing his nose off at, and painting his hand purple and, you know, um, <laughs> and, and Grover and, and Kermit and Guy Smiley, you know, all these things are kind of timeless. Like Jim, Jim cracked that code again. I mean, he, he, there's a timelessness about the Muppets. You don't get someone like that, uh, on this planet very often. So that's it. We did we did the Great Henson Caper together. What did you think? I liked it. You liked making this project together? Uh-huh. It was a fun, exciting project. The first project I ever did with my dad. Yeah, and towards the beginning, I remember you said something about what it made you feel like. Do you remember? No. You said you felt like you were one of Jim Henson's kids working with Jim Henson on a big project. Uh-huh. I thought that was kind of fun. I loved doing this with you. This was so much fun. So you've now seen a lot of Jim Henson's work. You've learned about Jim Henson. You've read about Jim Henson with me and looked at the books. So what's your feeling about Jim Henson? I love him. He's creative and funny, and he likes things that I like. What do you like that Jim likes? Well, excitement. Excitement, like things blowing up? Mm-hmm. And things eating other things? Mm-hmm. Louise Gold and Jerry Nelson sang When the River Meets the Sea, the Paul Williams spiritual from Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. 
Carol Spinney appeared in full Big Bird suit to sing Be in Green, that Sesame Street single Jim had spun into gold 20 years earlier. Speakers included Jerry Jewell, Frank Oz, John Stone, Michael Frith, and Duncan Kenworthy. Brian Henson read from a letter Jim had written his children four years earlier to be read in the event of his death. I feel life has been a joy for me. I certainly hope it is for you. Life is meant to be fun and joyous and fulfilling. May each of yours be that. Please watch out for each other and love and forgive everybody. It's a good life. Enjoy it. Finally, Jane took the microphone, flanked by her children. I didn't plan to say anything. I haven't made any plans, so I'm just going to say things that I've thought about as I've been listening. I don't want to pretend that I know what happens after this life, or that Jim really knew what would happen after this life, but he had great plans. And <laughs> and uh, I sure hope he, somebody lets him know we're doing this down here, because he's probably, probably pretty busy. <laughs> On to the next. Do you want to say anything else about Jim before we say bye-bye to the listener? I hope you've liked this podcast. I hope so, too. And I bet they did, because you contributed some really special stuff to it. So how could they not have liked it? Mm-hmm. Finish the sentence for me. I think Jim Henson is... Wonderful. What do you think of the Muppets? Silly, creative, and fun, and I love them. Beautiful. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Every day.